Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Caffeinate Today for June the 18th. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to today's show. For those that don't know what this is, I do a podcast every weekday morning live at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. It is early. You better get up for it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but it's also in podcast form. If you did want to check it out in VOD, if you want to check it out for your ears, whatever you want to do, you can probably find it. But it covers all the gaming news that you need to know, and I've been enjoying it for the past couple of months, and we're coming up on the three-month anniversary, or we might have just passed it, one of the two, I don't know, I'm so infatuated with the work that I don't even keep track anymore, but welcome to today's show, and uh, we have some interesting news to cover today, I would say, if I had to say so myself. Uh, we have some Microsoft E3 Xbox coverage breaking Twitch records, as the headliner says. Uh, we have World of Warcraft news. Destiny 2 is going to have a little bit of a boost if those uh, that thought you wouldn't get a boost thought there would not be a boost. There's going to be one. Uh, Octopath Traveler News, one that some people know of, some people don't. It depends on how into Nintendo stuff you are. Uh, Microsoft News, E3, more stuff. Chris Hardwick, interesting discussion there. And The Incredibles 2 with, surprisingly, I mean, blowing my mind. I never expected a a record-breaking weekend. Uh, So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the first news story of the day. Coming to us from, I believe it's Get Hype, which is the best name for a website that I could ever think of. Microsoft's Xbox E3 2018 media briefing was the highest-watched live stream ever on Twitch. With no new consoles announced this year, E3 2018 was all about the games, and more gamers than any other year. Two into Twitch for all of the latest breaking news and big announcements from the gaming industry. Now, for the second year in a row, Microsoft's live stream was the highest viewed stream on Twitch, but Microsoft's E3 briefing wasn't the most live stream event of this year's convention. It was also the highest concurrent viewer count of any stream ever on Twitch, pulling an impressive 1.7 million viewers at its peak. 1.7 million viewers at the peak of the Xbox conference. Uh, With Microsoft and Xbox having 1.7 million viewers, Ubisoft had 1.6 million, uh, Sony had 1.5 million, Bethesda had 964,000, PC Gaming Show had 893,000, which was actually more than Nintendo, which had 679,000, and Electronic Arts came in at the very bottom with 528,000 views. Uh, Now that is interesting to compare to 2017's numbers, because Xbox uh, is up 0.6 million from 2017, Ubisoft is up by roughly about 7 million. It had 986,000 last year. Uh, Sony had 926,000 in 2017. That's up by about another half million. Bethesda had 233,000 in 2017 that rose up to 964,000. I don't know if there were tech issues on their end on the on the first year. I'm not sure what was up with that, but they really blew it out of the water with that one. Uh, you also had the PC gaming show coming in with about 300 and... I'm just trying to do math in my head. 340,000 more than they had in 2017. Uh, Nintendo was also up by roughly about 400,000 or so, and then EA uh, was actually down about about 150,000, so I guess they're doing something wrong. Maybe it's Star Wars Battlefront 2, you never know, but those are the figures for E3 2018 compared to E3 2017. Very impressive numbers overall. Uh, compared to last year's E3, Microsoft saw an impressive uh, increase of 600,000. I, I could have just read the article. 600,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch. Why did I do math? Which doubled to the eight, which doubled the 818,000 viewers they had back in 2016. Microsoft also took an interesting approach to E3 this year by heavily promoting their own streaming platform, Mixer, over Twitch. Their briefing made sure to never mention the word Twitch, and they even replaced their usual Xbox setup on the show floor with a Mixer booth, a move which is sure to impact Twitch viewership in the years to come. This year's runner. Uh, I don't know about that. This year's 
year's runner-up was again Ubisoft. Despite growing backlash, we've read through all of this. You guys know all these good little juicy deets. Uh, but Microsoft absolutely killed it with their Xbox conference. And I have a video coming out today uh, that talks more about the conferences last week. And there's also a whole slew of conference coverage over on the channel in a playlist. If you did want to check that out on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. And also there's... Uh, I think, uh, yeah, conference coverage on Anchor.fm. I'm trying to think of all the things that I did. Uh, if you did want to check that out, at Anchor.fm slash Samuel Adams. But the main thing you need to know here, the main big juicy detail here, is that Xbox absolutely killed it with this year's show, not only in what was shown off, but also in production value. I feel like this was the best Xbox show that I have ever seen, and I feel like these numbers also go to prove that. Uh, the thing with it is, uh, I feel like the Xbox community is more, uh, I would say, integrated into gaming culture as a whole as compared to PlayStation or any other kind of uh, gaming community. Because Xbox, uh, it seems to be also kind of integrated with PlayStation as well. And it also seems like the PlayStation guys are so into what PlayStation itself is showing off uh, that it doesn't really focus or they don't really focus that much on comparing it to what is going on with Xbox or with Nintendo. And we're going to talk more about that today uh, in, a, in a video that I released. But uh, it seems like Xbox is continuing to kill it, and I would say that if Sony doesn't pick up their game right now, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, the next generation is wide open. You don't have to buy a PlayStation 5. If Xbox comes out and pulls it off, they could very well be the next big one that you buy, and that's some pretty exciting stuff for me. So uh, I, I love talking about that, and I love seeing these numbers and seeing these comparisons. But up 600,000 uh, viewers is something that is very impressive, I would say, on Twitch, especially as concurrent viewership goes. Uh, but E3 2018 was absolutely a blast. I loved covering it. I loved talking about it. I loved everything about this year's show. I thought it was very, very impressive, and so I am excited about next year, but at the same time, just this year in gaming is going to be such an amazing year. Uh, the next the next 12 months are just so exciting for me. I cannot wait uh, to see what comes down the pipe, but needless to say, Electronic Arts, what the heck, man? What the heck is up with that? I don't know. I guess it just was a boring show, which it was. It was a, it was a very boring show. Moving on to the next story of the day, World of Warcraft Classic will not contain any expansion whatsoever. Cuts off at 1.12 patch. It has been roughly half a year since Blizzard announced it would be releasing a vanilla version of World of Warcraft dubbed Classic. We only really knew that it was happening and not which version of the game it would be based on. Would this contain any of the expansions or would it be the very first version of the game that launched back in 2004? Blizzard has finally set the record straight stating that the Classic iteration will be based on the final patch before Burning Crusade. In a water cooler update on its official website, Blizzard writes, as many of you have noted, the classic period was two years long and full of changes. Core features like Battlegrounds were introduced in patches after WoW's original launch, and class designs similarly changed over time. After careful consideration, we have decided on patch 1.12 Drums of War as our foundation because it represents the most complete version of the classic experience. That experience is so classic, it actually didn't run well for Blizzard. They note that there were issues with logging in, problems with getting modern hardware to recognize the old code, and even a complete lack of sophisticated anti-cheat solutions. As the blog mentions, the game sometimes crashed, didn't recognize our modern video cards, and was incompatible with our current login system. That first pass also couldn't support any of our modern security and anti-cheating capabilities. Clearly, we had a lot of work to do to make WoW Classic live up to the Blizzard standard of quality. The rest of the post then goes into a lot of technical details that are beyond my comprehension. I've never been a big data guy, so I'm kind of lost on how statistics get encrypted and what determines specific numbers in games. Original WoW seems to have been very bloated, though, so Blizzard is looking to trim down some of the excess code. At the very least, when World of Warcraft Classic does eventually lo release, launch, same thing, uh, it should be a much more stable version of the game than it originally was at launch. I can't say I remember much in the way of crashes back in the day, but I did have a pretty beefy PC back in 2004. So here Here's the deal with, with World of Warcraft Classic. It doesn't really matter 
it, it doesn't really matter what you are bringing to the table as far as as far as any of that goes because ultimately people are going to be playing this regardless of whether or not the game is up to par people are not going to be looking and seeing what everything specific little detail people are going to be playing this regardless it is up to blizzard to make sure that that experience is still satisfactory overall and to ensure uh, that World of Warcraft Classic kind of fulfills the expectations that longtime fans have, and it brings back not only the nostalgia of that time, but also brings back the uh, the the same kind of feel overall without all the little glitches and hitches that the system did have back in the day. Also, in the chat, Rasm says, "Hey Samuel, how's it going? It's going very well, my friend. Welcome to the show." Uh, but to see that they're actually bringing out World of Warcraft Classic is pretty cool. To see that it's based on Patch 1.12 is, I'm sure, going to make many many fans happy. So I'm excited to see what they have to say about it. Of course, I. I don't really get into WoW. I've never been a big WoW guy. Uh, I grew up during the time period that, or I got into, let's say I got into gaming after WoW was kind of above my, above my pay grade, above my, my capabilities, stuff like that. Of course, I've, I've tried it. You know, I played it a couple of times on stream here and there, but it's never anything that I'm really dying to play. So, um, you know, take that as you will. Uh, not a bad game, just not my kind of thing. So uh, hopefully the classic patch or the classic edition, the World of Warcraft classic, whatever you want to call it, is going to be well received by fans. And hopefully Blizzard is going to absolutely kill it uh, because I would say that our PCs are a little bit beefier than the beefy PC back in 2004. So make that thing look good, Blizzard. Make that thing look good. Moving on to the next story of the day. Destiny 2 Forsaken will come with a level boost. Bungie will let new and returning players jump right into the action. Copies of Destiny 2 Forsaken will come with a character boost called a Spark of Light and Destiny to help new players quickly level up and get right to the DLC, Bungie said in an interview with Mashable. But unlike the original Destiny, this new consumable will now work from the character select menu and treat the character it's used on as if they've actually finished the campaigns from Year 1's offerings. The Spark of Light and Destiny was first introduced in The Taken King. It allowed players to boost up to the max level just before the most recent content update. The same is true with Forsaken. This will let anyone who isn't quite there yet log in and immediately start playing Forsaken's campaign and content. Players with only two characters, returning players who stopped playing after Destiny 2's main campaign, or brand new players who have not played Destiny 2 at all, will be able to take advantage of the level boost to quickly join up with friends. The Spark of Light will also come in handy for players who want to move play locations. If players started on PS4 and dread the idea of rerunning the campaign in D2 on PC, this could be the perfect opportunity for them to jump ship. However, it's unclear if the Spark of Light will complete any exotic quest like mid MIDA, Mida, sure, multi-tool or Sturm. While Bungie is still keeping all of the details under wraps, the developer told Mashable that additional Sparks of Light can be purchased if players want a second boost for presumably a second character. In Destiny, these boosts cost 30 bucks. Destiny 2 Forsaken will be released on September 4th for PlayStation 4, PC, and the Xbox One. This was coming down the pipe whether we wanted it to or not. When it comes to it, the Destiny community is going to have to be able to beef up its player base in a very short, concise amount of time. Uh, what happened with D2 was very disappointing. Everybody was was anticipating it. Everybody was excited about it. All of that good stuff. People were hyped about the game. And although some people got the fulfillment that they wanted with D2, ultimately it fell short in a lot of different ways, which is where we find ourselves today with Forsaken building up the fan excitement yet again, uh, with Forsaken really proving that people can come back to the game and be excited about it again. 
And uh, and now you have to be able to bring people back in and not feel like a burden. They have to be able to feel like they are enjoying the time that they are spending with the game and not trying to grind and not trying to be something that they're not uh, whenever they're playing Destiny 2. That was a little bit deep and philosophical, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you're going to have to make this the most easy to get into fun experience that has ever been existent in gaming to bring Destiny 2 back to the place where it can compete with something like the Division 2 and Anthem. Of course, that's going to be a hard road for them anyway, but it very well could happen. Uh, with Forsaken, I feel like without this little boost, people would feel like they had to grind through the original campaign, which is ultimately lackluster in the eyes of many. So you would have to kind of, you know, focus, put your head down to the ground, and really and really just push through that if you wanted to make it happen. But ultimately, uh, with the way that it's going today, it seems like it's going to be a really welcoming experience for those that are jumping back into Destiny 2. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a really good time for people to try out Destiny 2 for the first time, or to, as the article said, start on a new platform. Uh, of course, the game runs very well on PC. It's working with a 60 FPS kind of setup. And, um, as compared to the Xbox One and PS4 is 30, so hopefully uh, maybe people will be able to play where they want to play, make the right choice this time around, maybe uh, if somebody started playing on PS4 and then made friends on Xbox One, you could jump over there, if people are watching people play on Mixer and they want to get into those, or Twitch and they want to get into those lobbies, you can switch over to wherever your main streamer guy plays you could do whatever you want, and uh, and of course with the additional option to purchase more Sparks of Light for 30 bucks, you can do all of your characters if you have the money to blow on that, so hopefully uh, all of these factors being taken into account, Destiny 2 could be a big win for for Bungie and 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 over there with the guys behind behind uh, behind the scenes on Activision. And I would love to see that. Truly, I would because Destiny 2 is a beautiful game. I love the colors. I love the layout of it. It just needs some help when it comes to the player base and when it comes to the grind. Uh, that's really what it is. It needs help with the grind. So uh, this should be able to assist it a bit, and we will see what happens whenever the thing launches on September the fourth. Forsaken is coming out on September the fourth. Let's not call it the thing. The thing is, the thing is a superhero from Fantastic Four. Moving on to the next story of the day. Octopath Traveler won't receive DLC because it is a, quote, finished product. That sounds like some shade that's being thrown. In an interview with Japanese gaming website, ooh, Dengeki Online, nailed it. And translated by Japanese Nintendo, Octopath Traveler producer Masashi Takahashi nailed it again. Confirmed that the game won't have DLC. Takahashi's reasoning is that the game as it releases is the finished product. This means anyone hoping for a ninth major character or an epilogue chapter to the game shouldn't expect more than what's on the cart. Outside of some possible minor bug fixing patches on the table, the team intends to release the game and be done with it. A new Octopath demo was announced at E3 and has since been released on the Switch eShop, allowing players to go through every character's first chapter and then use that save file for the full game. You could also check out our deep dive into the new Square Enix RPG, a JRPG specifically and why you should be excited for it. It releases on July the 13th, just under a month from today on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, So I played the demo for this game back whenever it came out. I guess maybe it was around last E3, actually. It's been a while, um, but I played it on the Switch, and it's an interesting game with a very interesting art style. As you can tell by this picture that's right here beside me right here, uh, it's kind of a 3D, shadow-filled 2D JRPG. It's really weird, but I love the look of it. And um, the gameplay itself is fine. You know, it is what it is. It's a JRPG. Square Enix has killed it with this one. Uh, I wish they had chosen a different name, but then again, it's very definitive. Everybody knows what Octopath Traveler is because nothing else is going to be called Octopath bath traveler uh but to see the new demo come out is exciting i'm ready to see what the game is like of course i sold my switch so i'm not going to be playing this but i will be watching some of it i will be checking out some some reviews and whatnot of it to see how it is received uh but to hear that there's no dlc which is the main bulk of this story is is fun because 
it feels like a classic game. It feels like the classic JRPG experience where you get the game and it's there. That's all it is. That's what you got. You are the bomb diggity, says Paul Miller in the chat. No, you are the bomb diggity. But, um... You know, to see that the game is being released in full in 2018 is something that's a little bit jarring even, uh, to see that we actually get a full game and no DLC, no season pass, nothing. It just is what it is. It's there. And, uh, and I love that. I, I wish more games would do that, but it's hard to do that when you have the temptation of making so much money. Uh, I mean, take something like Call of Duty, for example, where you just have a ton of, uh, of, of different kinds of DLC packs and season passes and everything that you can get. Uh, there's just so much content there that can be, you know, monetized and, and really, and really bring profit back into put back into all these different projects that you've got working on and so it's exciting to see uh, I'm, I'm I'm pumped to see what this does uh, for Square Enix and the future of their games as they see this game work out without any kind of DLC uh, they can make ends meet, they can make a project be profitable uh, without having any kind of additional DLC or season pass or anything like that so we'll see what this one does for the gaming industry of course Battlefield 5 has no DLC this year, it just kind of comes out and you get free updates with new maps and new guns and all that good stuff, there is no season pass or any kind of map pack that's exciting black ops 4 doing the exact opposite they are making it more difficult to get your maps because literally you can only buy the season pass there are no individual releases anymore which is the end of an era for me if you do say if i you know interesting times to be into the gaming industry interesting times also in my chat Ohm says hi, hello, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to keep up with the story, and I will keep you guys updated on July the 13th, whenever Octopath Traveler releases, excuse me, and we'll see what the reviews do end up saying for that one. Microsoft wants to make State of Decay 3 with Undead Labs. Despite the fact that State of Decay 2 just launched about a month ago, it appears that Microsoft is looking to begin development on a threequel, it's an interesting way to say that, to the open-world zombie survival franchise. For those unaware, it was announced at E3 that Microsoft had acquired five new studios, including Undead Labs, in order to focus on exclusive titles. In a recent interview, head of Microsoft Studios, Matt Booty, his name is Matt Booty, revealed that Undead Labs was acquired specifically for State of Decay 3 after praising the four, after praise for State of Decay 2, which has reportedly received 2 million players since launch. Booty continued on to reveal that Undead Labs was a State of Decay 3 team. While the team may have smaller projects, it seems like a defined answer uh, that its primarily focus, his primary focus will be on the next entry. And it's also worth mentioning that Booty may have provided some key information concerning the project. Apparently, Microsoft had envisioned a bigger game with more persistent online function and bringing Undead labs into the company should accelerate the aforementioned vision for the franchise. It'll be interesting to see if and how the studio makes these improvements in the next installment, especially now that it takes Microsoft's backing. And by backing, they mean money. Uh, in the meantime, State of Decay 2 is available to play and should continue to receive post-game support for some time. It's worth mentioning that a recent 20-gigabyte patch aimed to fix a number of launch issues, such as reduction in crashing issues and in-game bugs, recently went live. While the game did launch with a number of issues, perhaps the assimilation into Microsoft will give Undead Labs the support the studio needs to improve the State of Decay experience. Needless to say, for those that are on the fence about trying out the Destiny... or Destiny... Whoa! We already talked about that. State of Decay 2 review... Uh, is available now if you did want to check that out, but it's likely years to come. And uh, right now, what needs to happen with State of Decay is that they need to focus on the online functionality and make it into something like DayZ. They need to make it into something that is more like DayZ in a way, uh, where you have this giant open world, kind of like H1Z1's Just Survive. It's just one of those things where it's like, you've got to be able to integrate online because with things uh, like zombie shooters, you need to be able to squad up with the team and not do just building bases, not do just surviving, stuff like that. You have to be able to uh, come in there and just 
absolutely mow down zombies do everything with your friends make it a more engaging experience and it's fun uh to see the franchise grow and evolve over time i played the original state of decay on the xbox 360 i never played state of decay 2 uh but with the way that it seems the direction of the franchise is moving uh, it's more so becoming something like a management kind of simulator where you go in and you build up your base you go out you kill zombies you bring back other people and you build up this little town and community and that's all well and good but it's just not what i'm looking for in a zombie game that's just not really what i'm feeling right now so uh, hopefully we'll see more about State of Decay whenever it is uh, in development. Hopefully we'll hear more about State of Decay 3. Of course, 2 just launched, so I would say that it will be maybe a year and a half before we ever hear anything more about what's going on with State of Decay. I would love to I would love to be a, a fly on the wall to be like, okay, so this is what happened with State of Decay 2. Uh, 200,000 people bought the game, and then 1.8 million played with Game Pass. That isn't the, the best kind of ratio there, but that's kind of my just guess, you know, I would say. Uh, we'll never see those numbers. The numbers will never see the light of day. We don't even know how many Xbox Ones have been officially sold. I'm just saying Microsoft is very tight-lipped when it comes to how their games are selling and how their consoles are doing. Uh, but to see Undead Labs acquired by Microsoft, there's some promise there. You know, Obviously, if Microsoft is bringing in money and they're throwing money into the studio and they're throwing money at the fact that they know this sequel can happen, then, uh, then obviously they have faith in it. And if they have faith, then I suppose I have faith. But we will continue on to cover the story as more info rolls down the pipe. But of course, like I said, there's going to be a lot of updates coming out for, uh, for 2. So just keep your ear to the ground on that one. If you want to try out the game, I mean, it's with Game Pass. So if you're on Xbox pretty good deal moving on to the next story of the day e3 2018 cyberpunk 2077 demo ran on a geforce gtx 1080 ti intel i7 8700k and 32 gigabytes of ram uh, i'm covering this story right now because number one i never really talk about the pc gaming audience and number two this is interesting to me so i'm sure that it might be appealing to somebody else uh but Let's go ahead and read through this. The Cyberpunk 2077 demo that CD Projekt Red showed off at this year's E3 event was running on an Intel i7-8700K CPU and an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080 Ti GPU. For those that don't know, that's pretty beefy. That's what CD Projekt Red's community manager, Alicja Cosera, nailed it. Confirmed on the game's official Discord server, as reported earlier, the Polish developer uh, showed off a 50-minute long demo to the press. That footage hasn't been made available to the public yet, but an in-engine trailer showcased during Microsoft's E3 2018 Xbox briefing is more than enough to make gamers all over the world salivate in anticipation without a doubt. Uh, but here are the full specs that were uh, released on Discord. You have the uh, i7-8700K at 3.7 gigahertz. Uh, you have the ASUS, uh, I believe it's ASUS, but okay, uh, ROG Strix Z370i gaming motherboard. You have 32 gigs of RAM to uh, 16 gigabyte sticks. Uh, you have NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080 Ti, Samsung 960 Pro, 512 gigabyte solid state drive, baby. Look at those loading times. And you have the power supply Corsair SF600-600 watt, uh, which is all around a very impressive piece of hardware hardware. Uh, the question is whether CD Projekt Red can optimize the game to the point where it can run on original Xbox One and PS4 hardware. Of course, they will be able to do that. If The Witcher 3 can run on PS4 and Xbox One, there's no reason Cyberpunk cannot. Uh, but I would be shocked if this game actually released on this generation's hardware. Of course, we talked about it last week on an episode of Caffeinate uh, where they're trying to target PS4 and Xbox One. But if we're being honest with ourselves, this is one of those games that would be very much so better suited for the next generation of hardware. Because as we see with the PC specs, this is not something that you just, you know, run, you know, it's not going to be like Skyrim where you can run it on a toaster. Uh, this is actually really beefy stuff here. 
I mean, right now I'm running a GTX 970 in my computer, which is probably about, I would say, five graphics cards lower than the GTX 1080 Ti, and the i7-8700K is a very, very good piece of of, of CPU right there. So, uh, the main thing here is the 32 gigs of RAM. I think that's where the PS4 and the Xbox One are going to run into some issues. It needs more RAM to really function and be able to to be the game that people wanted to be on the PS4 and the Xbox One. Uh, So... You know, we'll see more info about this rolling out over the summer. I would say more about Cyberpunk as as we uh, as we go on in time, which is needless to say the uh, the obvious answer to that. But I doubt we'll be seeing this one by the end of the year. I doubt we'll be seeing this one by the end of 2019. Um, I ju- I just don't feel it. I mean, it's it's been five years since the reveal of the game. Why would be Why would you see it in 2019? But hopefully, we will be seeing more about it because I loved the look of the game. I loved the world that they presented. Um. For those that don't know, I've heard the best way to describe the game is essentially that it is Deus Ex Human Revolution, uh, or Deus Ex Mankind Divided, either of the two. It is that kind of feel and that kind of vibe, and it's just brought in and integrated in with something like your your for, your first-person shooter, kind of like I would say Rage 2, I guess is the best way to describe it, uh, the way that it looks. But it's very interesting. There's a lot of personality here. There's a lot of characterization. There's a lot of, of world-building. There's a lot of lore. There's so much here to enjoy, but I love the way it looks i'm excited about it Uh, i would say this is my most anticipated game coming out of e3 2018 and i cannot wait to hear more about it but as for right now there is really nothing else to hear this is pretty much the the main bulk of it so uh with these kind of pc specs especially what's in the title here a gtx 1080 ti intel i7 i mean after you get done playing the game you could probably mine bitcoin man that's some beefy stuff moving on to the next story of the day chris hardwick's talking dead pulled from amc schedules following abuse allegations and on top of that nerdist has cut ties with the man uh, AMC has cut ties with Talking Dead host Chris Hardwick following allegations of abuse from his ex-girlfriend Chloe Dykstra. The network's decision comes in the wake of a Medium post from Dykstra that described her experience with an anonymous abuser, but people managed to connect the dots between the former Nerdist host and Hardwick. Quote, We have had a positive working relationship with Hardwick for many years. We take the troubling allegations that surfaced yesterday very seriously, read AMC's statement. Quote, While we assess the situation, talking with Chris Hardwick will not air on AMC, and Chris has decided to step aside from moderating play and AMC and BBC America panels at Comic-Con International in San Diego next month. Hardwick's former company Nerdist also released a statement saying that he has no operational involvement with Nerdist for the two years preceding the expiration of his contract in December of 2017 and that the company has removed all reference to Hardwick even as the original founder of Nerdist pending further investigation. In response to the allegations of emotional and sexual abuse, Hardwick released a statement of his own categorically denying Dykstra's claims. Hardwick acted as the host of a number of post-episode discussions for a handful of AMC shows, including Preacher and Better Call Saul. NBC joins AMC and Nerdist in distancing itself from uh, distancing, excuse me, itself from Hardwick, who hosts the network's The Wall Game Show. Not worth watching anyway. Uh, these allegations about Chris Hardwick took us by surprise as we have had a positive working relationship with him. However, we take allegations of misconduct very seriously, reads the company's statement. Production on the wall does not begin until September, and in the meantime, we are continuing to assess the situation and will take appropriate action based on the outcome, meaning they could replace another host to fill Hardwick's shoes. Uh, so as he said, he denied it, and uh, and I actually feel compelled to to read the statement that he put he, he put out because, uh, you know, you got to be fair about everything, you know, in these 
these days because it's easy to jump to conclusions. It's easy to go ahead and throw somebody under the bus when there is no hardcore evidence here other than people just saying that he's not a good guy. Uh, he says, these are very serious allegations and not to be taken lightly, which is why I've taken the day to consider how to respond, Hardwick said in a statement released on Friday night. I was heartbroken to read Chloe's post. Our three-year relationship was not perfect. We were ultimately not a good match and argued, even shouted at each other. But I loved her and did my best to uplift and support her as a partner and companion in any way and at no time did I sexually assault her. Uh, when we were living together, I found out that Chloe had cheated on me, and I ended the relationship. He continued, for several weeks after we broke up, she asked to get back together with me and even told me she wanted to have kids with me, build a life with me, and told me I was the one, but I did not want to be with someone who was unfaithful. I'm devastated to read that she is now accusing me of conduct that did not occur. I was blindsided by her post and always wanted the best for her. As a husband, a son, and future father, I do not condone any kind of mistreatment of women. Uh, so I wanted to go ahead and say that, and then we'll talk about everything here. Uh, my first reaction to this is the reaction that I would say many have in today's day and age where it's like, oh my gosh, not him, not him too. You know, I, I, there's always, I mean, you've got Bill Cosby, you've got, you've got all these other people that have come out and, and it's just like these iconic people are apparently not good people according to the people that are accusing them. And it's hard to really balance that out and it's really hard to, uh, to figure out where to, where you need to trust and where you need to go ahead and stop trusting. You know, there's a line right there that breaks the, that breaks the bond between not only the audience and, and the person doing it, uh, but it also, uh, you know, who is, you know what I'm saying, it's it's a difficult situation, and so with Chris Hardwick, I looked up to the man, and I still look up to the man, uh, assuming that this is, you know, all false, assuming, I mean, innocent until proven guilty, as they say, but, um, you know, he's obviously a big, a big podcaster, he's a big inspiration for why I got into doing what I do today, you know, I, I always listened to Nerdist when I was growing up, I watched Chris Hardwick when he hosted Web Soup on G4, I have always known Chris since, I, I mean, as like, you know, watching him on TV and watching him in podcasts and, and videos and stuff like that, I've always known, quote unquote, Chris, uh, since I was probably around seven, and, um, and he was definitely influential in shaping me to be what I am today as far as a content creator and an entertainer goes. Uh, so with Chris uh, having these allegations brought against him, it's number one, uh, shocking. It's number two, bringing feelings of like, oh, my God, if, you know, assuming this happened. Let's let's look at it from that way. This is this is absolutely terrible. And I feel so bad for Chloe Dykstra. And, and, you know, thoughts go out to all that good stuff. And um, and, you know, that needs to be addressed and stuff like that. But again, uh, still emerging. The details are going to be coming out over the next couple of weeks as more investigations go into it. Uh, but I, it's just one of those things where I, I hate seeing this and I hate the fact that it happens and I hate the fact that people ignore it, you know. And so I wanted to bring it forth and, and show you guys Talking Dead stuff and show you guys the, the Nerdist side of things and all that. But it's worth talking about because this is a very major, a major entertainment uh, entity. Uh, because Chris Hardwick, without him, I would say you would be seeing a very different kind of modern television, a different kind of modern internet. And many, many people would not be doing podcasts right now, just so you know. But moving on to happier stories to end off the day. Incredibles 2 has the biggest opening weekend of all time for an animated movie. Simply incredible. <laughs> oh, that pun. Disney Pixar's latest sequel, Incredibles 2, has had the biggest opening weekend ever for an animated film, and it isn't even close to anything else. Uh, coming in during the lucrative Father's Day weekend, Incredibles 2 earned $180 million in the domestic market across 4,000, 4, excuse me, 410 theaters, according to Variety. The previous record was held by Finding Dory, another one of Pixar's sequels that took forever to come out, which earned $135 million in its opening weekend. That brings a disparity of about four. 
$25 million uh, between what was made with Finding Dory and what was made with The Incredibles 2. The Incredibles 2 also has the eighth largest domestic opening of all time, overtaking another one of Disney's films for the top spot, last year's Beauty and the Beast, which netted $174.6 million during its debut weekend. The film also did incredibly well overseas, where it earned $51.5 million, making the global opening total $231.5 million. The film is expected to continue breaking records as its worldwide release window expands. Uh, with the success of Incredibles 2 came some we don't need to talk about this, just all that good stuff. Uh, Pixar's next film, Toy Story 4, hell yeah, was initially intended to release before Incredibles 2, but underwent some serious rewrites. Disney has now confirmed a release date of June 21st, 2019, which is when more records will be broken yet again. Uh, so, of course, uh, to begin with, before we jump into how I feel about this, uh, which I don't feel any particular way... Uh, the thing is, I feel compelled to put out there that there is a strobe light kind of thing going on within The Incredibles 2, so if you do go and see it, if you are going to the theater to check it out, just know that if you have a history of, of epilepsy or seizures, you could be having a rough time whenever you go see The uh, Investigators, The the Incredibles 2. Uh, so be sure to take that into consideration. But, of course, this is no surprise, uh, because the majority of people that went to go see Incredibles 2 are the people that are my age, or the people that are in their late teens, early 20s, that have grown up with The Incredibles, that are that are very much so aware of what it is and you know how they function all that good stuff and uh and this is just what it is it's a cultural icon kind of thing and so uh i mean i saw a dude on twitter that went viral by dressing up as frozone and he walked into uh he walked into the theater and said honey where's my super suit you know he did like the full thing and so of course you're going to have that kind of that kind of uh culture and that kind of love for the for the incredibles and so it's no surprise to see that it's absolutely killing it because not only did small children go see it uh, it was also very much so for those who are about you know between the ages of i would say 18 and 25 uh if you want to go see it again a uh, history of epilepsy seizures be on the lookout uh, but you can contribute to that ever-growing pot of money that disney pixar is sitting on right now because of incredibles 2 ever-growing pot of money but that wraps it up for today's episode of caffeinate if you enjoyed today's show be sure to leave it a like down below if you're watching on youtube if you are listening on podcast services by all means hit that favorite button over there on anchor.fm if you are on itunes or any other kind of podcast service leave me that rating i would greatly appreciate it uh, but of course thank you just for listening and listening to me talk about the gaming news stuff that i do every day and again it is every day live YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media at 7 a.m. Eastern Time if you did want to check that out. I am going to go to work right now because, man, do we have a long week ahead of us. I will talk to you guys very soon. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Peace. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.